Okay, so on my first three principles, uh, let me say at the outset, I'm not saying these three are, you know, absolute biblical essentials, things you have to do in order for uh, your church plant to, uh, to thrive or survive or whatever, but these are three things that in my experience uh, seem to be good ideas, good principles for healthy, fruitful gospel work through church planting. And also I think they are, they're independent of uh, church planting model. First of all, pray and work for the rapid spread of the gospel. Uh, I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, in verse 1, where he says to his friends in Thessalonica, Pray for me that the word of the Lord might spread rapidly and be honoured, uh, just, just as it was with you, he, he calls to their own experience. Um, there's something about Paul's impatience there. It seems he just can't bear the thought that non-Christians would have to go one day longer without coming under the sound of the gospel. And uh, it goes back to the urgency. Pal, uh, uh, Al was talking to us about uh, earlier um, Paul's urgency in 2 Timothy 4. Um, and that rapid spread, I think the word there is, um, is the treco word. It's to run. It's to run freely and, and unhindered. Most people in our churches, I imagine, would be able to give fairly easy lip service to, yes, we want the gospel to spread. We want people to come to know Jesus. Um, but I, I would urge us to help our people um, grow this desire to see the gospel spread rapidly, to have Paul's heart, um, almost a, a godly impatience uh, that people wouldn't have to wait any more days without coming under the sound of the gospel. Um, and I think that sense of urgency, um, perhaps for some slightly different reasons, but it's that sense of urgency that I think we see driving lots of the, um, the beginning, the pioneering work uh, in, the, in the birth of the modern mission movement a couple of hundred years ago, that, that sense of urgency. And so I think, I think we want to build this into people, um, God's heart for lost people, um, helping people grow that, that love for people. Um, and I love that we want them to have and that most people have um, really trying to grow in them that, I don't know whether you could call it a godly discontentedness, yeah, if that was such a thing. If the gospel is to spread rapidly, then it can't just be left to others. It can't necessarily be left to old models and old ways of doing things. I need to serve. I need to give. I need to be involved. I need to take advantage of those divine intersections that God places before me. Uh, I think if we can help people see something of the urgency uh, of mission, that will help our planting. It will help us keep the main thing the main thing. It will help us stop being distracted by other things that might be good to do but aren't really at the heart of what we're trying to do in introducing lost people to Jesus through the scriptures and I think it'll help uh, in the growth of the kingdom. Second thing is, um, remember planting is a partnership uh, and going back to the idea of paddling the canoe that I mentioned before, make sure everyone's heading in the same direction uh, and um, I've been preaching earlier in the year, preaching through Philippians and Paul uses that word he kind of makes up a word. It's nowhere else in the scriptures and doesn't seem to be anywhere else in the, the classical or koine uh, Greek. Um, Co-athleticizing. Uh, the idea of struggling together for the sake of the gospel. Um, and, he, and he uses images of striving together, um, which, which is a, it's a, it's a military metaphor. It's a picture of the Roman tortoise. If you can um, remember pictures from school of... The Roman guys with their shields in a group, you know, they're all back to back. They've got their shields all around them. The guys in the middle are holding their shields on, t- on top, protecting them from, from anyone who would, you know, invincible, you know, took over, the, took over the known world. That's great. 
as long as they stay like that, as long as they're together. But if the guy in the front decides he wants to go off and fight the Celts or the Goths or whoever all on his own, well, all of a sudden there's a gaping hole in this little unit's protections. As long as they stay together, as long as they're working together, then they're more or less impervious to any attacks. Um, and similarly, if you think of people on a sporting team, you know, if, if the people on a sporting team start competing against each other instead of competing against their opposition, well, then the whole thing falls apart and the opposition um, wins. And so we want to keep sharing and resharing the vision with people. Take every opportunity to remind the people in our churches and maybe outside supporters, why are we, why are we doing this? Why have we given up our comfort and our friendships and whatever else? Um, always setting before people um, the, the vision for the church and, uh, and why we're doing the things we do. We use that thing I mentioned um, before, God, Church and Me, um, a course to remind people what do we see in the scriptures and, and how does that work itself out in the life of our church. Um, what is our church like? Come along and, and find out. Um, and as I said, take every opportunity. So for us, Easter was, I don't know, 10 weeks or something, eight weeks after we launched. So Easter was like a relaunch for us. All the same sorts of things we did at our launch, we did again to remind people, oh yeah, that's right, we're a church that prays for non-Christians. Uh, we're a church where we talk about praying for non-Christians. Um, we grew to two Sunday morning services last year. That was a relaunch. We did all the same sorts of things that we did when we launched. We talked all the same language about seeking to make create opportunities for people to hear the gospel, engaging with our community, all those same sorts of things. Um, we get people praying for non-Christians anytime there's a significant event coming up in the life of our church. Uh, I said before, I've just finished running a Simply Christianity. Um, I let everyone in the church know when I'm running Simply Christianity. So they know, oh, that's one of the things that our leaders do. This is a good thing for us to be doing. Um, I want everyone in our tortoise working together, everyone in our canoe paddling the same way um, so that we don't get distracted by things that would threaten to steer us off course. And, uh, and thirdly, always think like a non-Christian. That sounds a little bit bad, I get that. Um, but one of the most useful tools that we did in planning was that um, secular churches thing that I mentioned. Um, when, someone, when someone comes to our gathering uh, or is engaged in a conversation with us or reads something that we've put out, um, what, are, what are the questions that they're going to have in their mind? You know, what do I, what's it like? What do I wear? I saw a church website actually just in the last week or so that had a dress code section on their website. And I thought, man, that's weird. I thought, actually, that's a question that lots of people ask when I tell them about our church. You know, what do people wear? I've never thought about that. Um, but those sorts of questions, good to, um, you know, when, when do I stand up? When do I sit down? All of those kinds of things. If you've been in church forever, you just know that. You can get the cues, you know, how the service leader, what they do with their microphone. Oh, they're about to stop talking. Oh, they're about to start talking. We need to stand up. We need to sit down. All of those kinds of things. And then, of course, our language, the words uh, we use. Um, practices, all those kinds of things. Um, I, I learned after the Trinity Hills Church was planted, one of the discussions they had was, uh, before their plant, um, was whether the, the pastor there, Chris, would, would wear robes in the Sunday services. Now, to me, that was just the most hilarious thing in the world. I'd never seen Chris robed. And the Orgate Memorial Hall is a daggy post-war concrete block building. It's not the sort of place where I imagined a clergyman prancing up and down in robes. And yet the church that sent him 
clergy were still wearing robes in Sunday morning services. They had to think, no, actually, what's going to be good for us to connect with our community? And is this guy looking like an Anglican clergyman going to be a distraction for people? And they obviously decided that, uh, that yes, it would, uh, yes, it would be a distraction. And that was one of the things they had to work through. Um, you probably heard the whole seeker-sensitive stuff. Um, basically, that, that theory is taking out things that are foreign to non-Christians. Uh, we deliberately didn't go down that path. Um, and so I'd say we want to be seeker-comprehensible. And I thought that I'd made up that term. And then I read Ed Stetzer or someone um, using it. So I should have put it in a book and I've got to get in there first. But don't take out stuff that non-Christians maybe don't do, but explain it. So non-Christians don't say the creeds when they get together, but it's good to say the creeds when you get together. And so explain, well, this is, these are some words that Christians have said for centuries to explain, blah, 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 blah. Um, think about even vocalised questions that non-Christian people um, might have about your message, about your methods. Um, and because you're planting, you're actually much more easily able to ditch bits that you think actually are unhelpful, confusing, isolating language, it's much easier to be able to do away with those things or change them uh, if you really think they do need to go than perhaps in an established church. If you ever heard Billy Graham preach, uh, one thing that he would often do is he'd be preaching evangelistically and then he'd pause and he'd say, but Billy, you might say. And then he'd ask some question or raise some objection that a non-Christian might have to his message. But Billy, you might say, what about the good life that I've lived? or whatever the objection or question might be, and then he answers the question or objection and then can move on with his message, edging that non-Christian person ever closer to the goal that he wants them to reach. And uh, that vocalising and answering the question or objection, I think, is incredibly helpful, but we've got to get to the point of thinking those questions um, first. Um, yeah, that'll do. That's enough for me. We'll have some Q&A uh, later, I think. So, Elliot. So I'm speaking uh, some principles out of my experience here. I'm still young and inexperienced, and it's what I've learned in this situation. Some of them, I think, are universal principles. A couple of them are more specific to replanting. Uh, I thought I'd better share a verse that helps describe uh, what we're on about and what we're trying to do, um, so that Clayton's not the only one opening the Bible with us uh, in this little section. But um, to add to that, I just want to add what uh, Paul says in Colossians 1. Um, 28 and 29 obviously he's referring to jesus he says he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in christ to this end i strenuously contend with all the energy christ so powerfully works in me and that really is uh, i guess a personal uh, desire of mine and a, and a um, what's the word kind of catch verse life verse uh, for me and and what we do uh, but it leads me on to what um, i think one of the first principles of church planning should be, I think it should be at the top of the list, um, uh, and that's to be a missionary before you are a pastor. Um, I know that's commonly said if you read church planning books, but it's, there's a reason it's commonly said, because it's so easy to get distracted once you're in a pastoral role. Uh, your eyes drop. Now, it, it's all done in good reason. You love your people. You hate seeing them hurt. You want to walk with them. You want to journey with them. But the more and more that happens the less and less time and energy you have to keep your eyes up and out, um, looking at non-Christians, neighbours, friends, connections. Um, and, and if you do that, the rest of your church who are following your lead, particularly in the early days, begin to start being a bit more insular, uh, start thinking less and less about outsiders and more and more about one another. Um, 
And so it's really important both for uh, yourself uh, and, and your own connections with non-Christians, setting that example and, and making those connections, but also for the church, for your eyes to be up uh, and out and looking forward. And so some of your time each week needs to be passionately dedicated and protected for evangelism, for non-Christian connections and for set, setting direction for the future. Uh, and that gets harder and harder in my experience. The more you grow and the more people's needs weigh on you uh, and their demands of you as a pastor um, and that just doesn't stop and it doesn't go away. Um, it's always there. Uh, and so it's really important to do that. So one of the things I'm really excited about is that the church is getting behind me and, and wanting me to spend a quarter of my time on things outside of us. So we're committing to a quarter of my time being spent out there. Now that's not, like I said earlier, to, to watch me, the professional, go and do it. But it really sets a great culture, I think. Uh, for what we're on about, that we're giving up some time that could very easily be used for great things within the church, but we want to set that up out there. But that means this budget, when we can finally look like we're affording a full-time pastor for the first time in a couple of decades uh, in this church, we're actually stretching our budget even further to bring on support staff to, increase, to, to allow me to have that space to, to get out there and increase connections in the community. Uh, but I think that's really important to think, have that mindset that you're you're a missionary before you're a pastor. Um, for us, and, and a replant, I've, I've talked a lot about renovations. It really has been the theme of the last two and a half years. It's been so important. If you're heading into a replant situation, you find something to renovate, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a whole space like we've done, but find something little to change. And Because I think change is the, is the most significant catalyst to next change. You, you want to be able to make change come about but don't tackle the hardest thing first start with some things that you can that you can get and make and make happen um using renovation language it's kind of like uh you know you're trying to get a tile off the wall and until you get your knife under it just a little bit there's no way to get it off do you know what i mean and so just finding something little to change is just getting your knife under it a little bit and from there you can start to really get the change happen i think that applies to people too in any church planning situation it's a uh, find somebody that you can renovate because it's a great example of setting the culture of your church. So find someone that you can disciple, to use the language we'd more likely use, someone that you can invest in, that you can bring them to Christ, that you can uh, kind of use them as a story of what your church is on about. Uh, and it's not you want them up every week telling, you, telling everyone where they're up to in their journey, but just have someone that you can use, as a, um, use in a positive sense uh, as an example of what you're trying to do and be on about as a church to set that culture. The other thing I think, and this applies to any church plant situation, become a chaplain um, or something like that. Find something that you can get into a community group outside of your church. Uh, because the default is so easy to try and set up heaps of programs and, and connections that you're trying to get people to come to at your church. And they're good things to do. But I think we also need to find ways to help our people understand that they can reach people out there. Because that's where our people are. They're in the workplace, they're out connecting. As pastors, we're not there. We need to find somewhere where we can be there and be that example, that demonstration of how we can connect with people outside of a church environment, outside of programs set up by the church. Um, I think it's great to be able to tell stories from that, as I mentioned earlier as well. Um, and it's not just about me being the professional and doing that, it really is that, that's, that time that I'm spending chap, being a chaplain, being out in the community, is actually being the leader as a captain coach kind of role, where you're actually not just preaching about it on a Sunday, you're out there 
doing it and demonstrating it and living it and you've got that engagement uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then the last point I wanted to, to talk to um, is increase your lead time. I think it's so important. Uh, everything takes longer than you think it might. Everything is going to take you longer to recruit, to raise funds. Uh, some people, and as I've watched a few other planners, you know, they, they think, well, we'll have a soft launch in January and a public launch in February. And that'll be enough time to practice church and, and, and demonstrate everything. And it very often isn't. There's so much more that needs to be done. Now, even more, you need to understand in a replanning situation that uh, a lot of the time you actually can't have a schedule. Because, uh, like Al's pointed out, and he's had much more experience as an older man and dealing with older men, that things just take longer when you're dealing with an older generation. And so if you come in uh, and have this idea, this strategic planting plan, you have an idea that you need to maybe uh, slow that down. Uh, for me, it was actually throw the whole thing out and start again and, and begin with something, of, uh, a new kind of plan and a new idea of how long this might actually take. Our initial plans were to plant within a couple of years a, a second congregation. That's going to take us three, four, maybe five years before we'll be able to do that. Um, just things like that. Raising up leadership, Al's kind of alluded to it when he was speaking before, but that, that just takes so long to disciple people, find people who get it and are really strong enough to be able to send out um, in, a, in a planning situation. Uh, so for me, there's, I think there's plenty more things I've learnt, but those things are four principles that I just wanted to share uh, with you now. So just quickly too. Al. Scott's asked me for uh, three principles. Actually, mine all come out of uh, 2 Timothy. So, um, first one, 2 Timothy 1.10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, first one is God, ha- uh, God is faithful and he has his elect people and he will call them. And uh, that should give us confidence that God will be at work. <laughs> 